My name is Trip Borman, and in this episode of SME VC, I sit down with Vincente Zavars, founder and CEO of Yummy, which operates services like rideshare and food delivery in overlooked Latin American markets like Venezuela and Bolivia, and seeks to become Latin America's super app. I have to say, I particularly enjoy speaking with founders who are truly contrarian, and Vincente is exactly that. In this episode of SME VC, we discuss what it's like building a team and startup in Venezuela, the differences in pricing rideshare in a country like Venezuela, including difficulties calculating rates, and Yummy's introduction of price bidding for rides and food delivery. The difficulties fundraising for a startup with Yummy's geographic focus of Venezuela and Bolivia, and the role of Venezuela in the future of the Latin American venture capital and technology scene. We discussed all this and more in this episode of Samia VC. Vincente, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including your current role at Yummy? Hey, uh, first of all, thank you so much for, for having me. Um, yeah, so I I started uh, my career in investment banking, um, doing M&A for tech companies, uh, always representing the entrepreneurs in kind of like mid-market, so 40 to $400 million deals. But in that process, I saw a bunch of consumer startups uh, that were our clients that I really realized the impact that consumer startups can have in uh, communities, cities, countries, regions or the world, depending on, on the scale. And it can really change the way we do things as a society. And so I decided that I really wanted to eventually focus myself on one, um, building startups. It, it was the most exciting thing to me to create value out of thin air. And within that, uh, consumer startups were really appealing, but I realized in this process also how important the growth marketing teams uh, that were especially technical were uh, for these companies' success and getting LTV to CAC and retention and payback periods right, not after Series A or Series B uh, and capital was spent inefficiently, but rather earlier uh, since inception. And so I decided to go into growth marketing. Um, I went into growth marketing at wafer.com. That was kind of my, my first experience in the field right after their IPO. After that, uh, I went to Postmates, um, which is probably the, the best connection to, to Yummy in industry. Uh, but at Postmates, I ended up leading all of user acquisition um, for Postmates nationally and internationally um, in the in the Mexico expansion um, until we got acquired by Uber. And then I went to get around uh, to do uh, the same. So I was doing user acquisition both on the supply and demand side, um, both getting hosts with cars uh, and, and demand for, for people that wanted to rent those cars. And then after that, I realized uh, after some time at Getaround, I realized I was very ready to start my own thing. And I saw this this really interesting thing happening in, in Latin America. And I'm from Venezuela originally. Uh, so it's obviously very, very dear to my heart. But I realized that outside of Mexico and Brazil and maybe Chile, um, which are the most developed economies in terms of startup ecosystem in LATAM, um, there's a real vacuum of entrepreneurs, capital, and therefore also of the normal consumer categories that you would expect. And you don't see an Amazon, you don't see a ride-sharing player. Sometimes you don't see a delivery app, you don't see a ticketing platform. And um, banking is kind of very old school and there's no new fintechs in town outside of these geos. And so I saw a massive opportunity to build a super app that that could truly do it all and become the leader in moving things, people, and money in the markets that we operate. Amazing. And so could you tell the audience a little bit more about what Yummy does? Yeah, totally. So so Yummy is exactly that. It's a super app 
and and that term is is kind of obscure sometimes. So it's it's really a one stop shop where you can do anything uh, that you would normally do in in the U.S. For example, in in individual apps. So for example, in Yummy, you can order delivery of anything. So of restaurants like a DoorDash, of uh, groceries like Instacart, of pharmacy. Uh, you can buy tickets for events uh, like a Ticketmaster. You can also order a ride uh, like an Uber, but you can do it uh, both in cars and uh, motorcycles. And we are um, we're now developing a fintech as well uh, for for all of our drivers, merchants, and consumers. Um, and we also develop outside of the super app this this other piece of the business that we call Powered By. But we basically realized that all of our eight thousand merchants. Uh, that we have today wanted to develop their own e-commerce channel. Um, but differently from if I was building this in the US, I would simply like build the app and and get the supply and demand together, which is obviously harder than said, uh, easier said than done. But um, if I did this in the US, I would just from a payment infrastructure perspective, plug into Stripe and be done. In the markets where we operate in Venezuela and Bolivia, which is where we are today, um, the payment infrastructure doesn't really exist. So we almost needed to build like a mini company to support our own in payments. And so all of these merchants wanted to do, to do wanted two things. They wanted access to our payment infrastructure and they wanted access to our gig economy fleet for the last mile. And basically we created a website builder uh, similar to a mini Shopify where if I already have all your SKUs, pricing and inventory, for example, Papa John's that is in our marketplace, they can create their own website in 20 seconds and it's already plugged into our fleet for delivery and into our payment infrastructure. And, and that's what the business is, is today. And again, we're, uh, we started in Venezuela, um, which I, it might be a, a contrarian bet to, uh, to a lot of people, but it's, you know, in the last three years, it has been the fastest growing GDP in Latin America, uh, and the economy has has dollarized quite a bit. So, so you know, sixty percent of our transactions there come directly in USD, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I, I really want to double click on that Venezuela component. I think sometimes we discuss Argentina as this kind of crazy place where the government is is kind of against the tech company, but Venezuela is the the craziest example of that. So, what is it like building in Venezuela? Are you are you going there to? work with a team there or what sorts of unique challenges are there? And I think you could fill a whole podcast with that, that answer, but uh, I think some of the people in the audience are, are really wanting to know, you know what that really entails. Yeah, look, I think to take a step back on, on Venezuela as a country, um, I think if you like really focus on, on, on the big facts of the country, it's a country with 30 million people uh, with an ecosystem of about six to 7 million people living outside of the country. It's one of the the largest populations living outside of their own country, essentially, uh, that creates a pretty big remittance ecosystem. Uh, it's about probably like six to seven billion dollars of of remittances. It's hard to get the real data on it, but that's kind of the estimates that float around. And it is the country with the largest oil reserves in the planet. Um, the problem was for probably like um, I want to say like ten years straight, we had like the worst hyperinflation in the world. And that made it impossible for a like a small margin business that requires high volume to operate. However, um, from a government perspective, a few decisions started being made. Um, the the most important one being free flow of capital. So capital controls were lifted, um, and what that means is that you can really exchange 
local currency Bolivares into USD or any other current currency and move money between Venezuela and out of it really easily, which was not the case for uh, close to 15 years. And so when this happened in 2018, uh, the economy rapidly dollarized. And it, if you go to a hot dog stand in Caracas, the capital of Venezuela, a hot dog stand just like in New York City, the hot dog is $2. Um, and and that's uh, kind of what allowed the, the business to thrive. When I saw this happening, I the free flow of capital I saw as a, as a really positive sign economically. Um, and that I don't think it's, it's able to go back in time in a way. Um, and that has what in a, in many ways has allowed the economy to grow to the rate uh, that it is. Um, and, you know, I think from a geopolitical perspective, the country also, I think, you know, this is my own opinion, but I think uh, the government has decided to stop behaving like Cuba and in a way start behaving like China in the sense that they're still an authoritarian government. That's still a fact. And they're still a socialist government, which is still a fact, but they uh, want to allow uh, private businesses to thrive because it's just good for everybody. And, you know, whatever the future holds for politics, I don't know. I'm, I'm not super into politics, but I just know that the services that we're creating, moving people allows just access to better opportunities. Um, if you can move from where you are to college, to school, that's a real problem. Um, getting things conveniently just liberates your time. Um, and, and I think we're creating a real ecosystem where just everybody wins. Wow. And so how, bi how big is the team that's based in, in Venezuela and yeah. you're outside of Venezuela? T tell us a little more about that, that distribution. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm based, uh, we probably have a, a, most of our management team is based in the, in the U S. Um, so we, we have about seven people here, but the majority of the team, uh, the operational team, we have about 250 people in Venezuela and about 30 in, in Bolivia. Uh, but yes, most of our engineering team is in, is in Venezuela. Uh, all of our operations team, our customer service team is there. I mean, in a way, it's an interesting uh, geo arbitrage from a from a payroll perspective, um, which I think just helps uh, the company get to profitability way faster. We're actually uh, very close to profitability, and we might be the company in our categories of rights and and delivery to get to profitability the fastest out of out of our comparables. And I think that's one of the reasons why. Wow! Uh, but to the challenges, I would say. Going back to what I mentioned, like the payment infrastructure isn't built. And so in e-commerce, so I had to build with the team, a payment infrastructure that allows for you to transact with any payment method, whether it's in Bolivares or USD. And that's, that's really difficult. Um, also from a maps perspective, for example, routes are not super optimized in, in Google maps, for example. And so there might be a situation in, in rights in which we might um, calculate that it's $10 from point A to point B. But in reality, if you took some back routes and some routes that the map isn't picking up, it would be like $4. And that's actually why we develop in our ride sharing mechanism actually uh, functions in two ways. You can either pick the express functionality that it works just like Uber, right? It's, it's $10 from point A to point B, take it or leave it, guaranteed price by Yummy. Or you can negotiate the fare with the driver using an option that we call Cuadralo, um, where you say, look, I'm only willing to pay $5 to go from point A to point B. Uh, or you might say, look, I'm in, really in a rush. I can't wait for the algorithm to assign me. Like, I'll just bid $15 for a ride that's 10 and, and get everyone to want to take me. 
Uh, and one of the reasons we do that actually is because of that maps problem. Uh, it solves this, the, the problem, right? If it's $10, but you know that it should be cheaper because of the route, just bid less and the driver will probably be understanding that that is a closer ride than it looks. Interesting. And so what are some other components that, you know, if you were talking to someone that worked at Uber, you're like, no, 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 that wouldn't work in Venezuela. Here's how it works. Here's what you guys do at Yummy. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think I definitely, I don't think I necessarily want to give Uber uh, some tips um, <laughs> while they're Fair not enough. in the market. But, but I would say that I, I think what, what what doesn't work is, um, I think pricing is really hard, right? Like how much should pricing be per kilometer in Caracas? which is the capital versus how much should it be in a city like Maracaibo or in a city like Puerto Ordaz that is that is smaller. And I think the bidding also allows us to do a lot of that price uh, discovery. I think the maps piece, um, I also think, you know, I don't know how much it costs a company like Uber to run maps, but we are almost like forced to use an open source alternative because us paying 10 cents per ride, for example, to a maps company, um breaks the margins too much you know when when you're dealing with a $15 average order value in rights in the US uh our average order value in rights is $5 and so we really need to make the margins work we only make a dollar and 30 cents in contribution margin per ride and rights is actually a profitable vertical for us but that's only possible because of the things that we find solutions that are free or that we decide to build in house to to go after it and so is you have you have the multiple verticals in all of those verticals, including like the food delivery and the the riders. Could you tell us about a those other verticals? And then are there international competitors in any of them, or is Yummy in a blue ocean in all of them? I I do think of Yummy as a blue ocean opportunity, but there are competitors, and there is, for example, in delivery, uh, we don't have a super app competitor, but but there is a uh, an individual competitor in most of the categories. For example, uh, in delivery, uh, Pedidos Ya, which is the Latin American vertical for Delivery Hero, which is a publicly traded company um, in Germany, um, they are the main uh, delivery competitor that we have and that I'm very proud to say that we, we're still winning in market share against them for various reasons, payments being one of them, speed to integrate with supermarkets being another one of those. Um, in rights, there is... A local competitor there isn't an international competitor but we're not alone um and then i would say in fintech there's only like six fintech licenses that have been issued in the country and we have one of them so i think from that perspective um that's probably in a way a mode that we'll have um but yeah we we do face a competitor in each vertical but i think what's i think that's helpful in the sense that we can just figure out how to do things better and more efficiently and ultimately at scale, we have the largest digital customer base after a telecom in the country. And all of the different verticals just allow us to monetize that customer in various ways. Well, the individual player that is international might see Venezuela as just this like smaller market that is part of their portfolio that is in an area of focus. Well, this is where we spend all of our energy. And so I want to ask two questions. First, how often do you guys go to, to Venezuela, this US-based management team? And then what made you pick Bolivia as the first country to expand to? Yeah, um, various members of the management team go kind of frequently, I would say like probably like every three to six months. Um, we don't really need to though. I would say like, if you think about the our role, we need to determine a business plan. We need to determine the goals. We need to determine the product of the, the, the vision of the product. 
and we need to to really make the decisions of how is it that we're going to beat our goals and reach profitability and continue to grow at a really accelerated pace. And all of those things can be done um, remotely as long as we have the team on the ground um, to roll up their sleeves and, and execute on the things that are the offline component of our online business. But the online component of our business is where management, I think, spends the majority of the time. But to go to Bolivia, in Bolivia, uh, the reason we picked it is, uh, it was actually a couple of reasons. It was one of the countries that we had in mind as sharing similarities with Venezuela. And a couple of those are, there's very low car ownership uh, as a percent of the total population. There's also um, low access to credits. Uh, so low, low access to leverage for the consumer, which creates the play for a, for a fintech in an interesting way. And um, it is a population that is not part of this like Mexico, Brazil, Chile startup ecosystem with, with this vacuum of, of options. But the reason we picked Bolivia, there are other options is we actually saw this company called Jigo uh, that shared the same vision we had. They were the super app of Bolivia um, and they were in a different uh, position in their journey to us. Um, and we saw the opportunity to acquire them and to make them part of the team with with really talented founders instead of you know employees. I, I think founder blood is different in a way and the dedication that they'll that they'll put. And so yeah, we acquired Jigo and that's how we um how Bolivia became our first international expansion. Okay. And I, now I'm gonna ask a very broad question. You could take it however you want. What are you most excited sure. about right now? Interesting. Um the what am I what am I what am I most excited about? You know, I think that the fintech is what I'm probably the most excited about right now. Um, the fact that again we have this this license and we have the whole ecosystem with um both the payment processor partner and the banking partner locally. Um, I really think we can have an incredible impact where drivers will be able to receive, you know, all of all of their pay directly in the in our in our wallet. Um, but beyond that, they'll be able to receive offers for cash advances of their income if they do ride with us really consistently, which I think strengthens the retention that we have of the driver and the frequency in which they drive with us, but also gives them an opportunity to, you know, upgrade their car, buy, buy whatever it is that they're that they can't buy today. Um, similarly, merchants will have the ability to say, look, like, we are a pizza place with two locations growing really fast. We really want to expand into a new location. We just don't have the capital. And they'll be able to receive their their offers directly in the fintech. If they're a, a player that is having a, a really good growth, we ultimately don't make that decision, but we do create the marketplace for that. So yeah, I, I would say I'm, I'm really excited about the fintech and the possibility that it can have in making everyone in the ecosystem win. I, I really believe that in a, in a company like Yummy, if you make all of the different pieces of the ecosystem win, shareholders win as well. Amazing. And and so we've discussed some of the verticals that Yummy operates in, but it is a super app. So there's some that we are missing. So it's the ride share, the food delivery. There was the fintech opponent. What, what else? Uh, there's ticketing for events. So you can buy, uh, for example, there's like a really popular artist that's touring Venezuela right now. And uh, people are able to buy their digital QR code as a ticket and it's transferable as well um, to enter the event. Last year, we sold uh, all of the tickets for the National Baseball League. Baseball is the most popular sport there. And we sold all of the tickets of the National Baseball League directly um, in our app. And, and that was a phenomenal um, 
partnership, I would say. Um, but yeah, th those are the categories, the main categories of the super app. We also have shopping. So you can shop for things like we, we just call it part of delivery, but you can shop for electronics or clothing. And that's an area where I actually really want to focus on as well. Uh, it's not productized specifically for those kinds of retailers. And I think we can do a lot of work to enhance uh, that for the consumer and make it easy to shop for, for clothing that it doesn't just mimic the way you shop for food, which is how it's productized today. Very interesting. And, and so I, I want to discuss a little bit more about the fundraising component of building a business, um, especially in this interesting geographical Venezuela move that you have. So how did you go about fundraising and who did you look for? What were the allies you wanted? Were there Venezuela-based investors that invested? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so actually, um, interestingly, 95% of the capital um, has been um, US and European investors. Um, very little uh, Venezuelan capital has entered Yummy, but I think it makes sense. I think the reason is um, before this exists, let's let's talk about the two moments to invest, which is like either now, now that you see everything that we've built and it's obvious that this is possible, or before it existed at a really good valuation. Before it existed at a really good valuation, it was just hard to believe that we would that we would accomplish what, you know, I, I think I was saying what I wanted to build and people would look at me with like a crazy face. And then now the problem is that Venezuelan investors aren't used to venture. And so valuation numbers is not something that they're used to seeing. And I think at this point they feel like, you know, it's like, ah, I wish I did it earlier, but I didn't. So I missed out. Even though that I truly believe it's still day one. And just to give you an example of that, Caracas, which is our largest penetration um, our biggest, our deepest penetration city, only 6% of the total population of Caracas orders from month from us on a monthly basis at this point. And we have great numbers and, you know, only 6% penetration there and below 2% in other cities just truly means that it's still day one. But still, for them, they see evaluation that they're just not used to just because there's never been a, a unicorn out of the country. And that's not where we are, but, but they don't see that we could be. Um, and then, yeah, that before is simply, it, it was too crazy for them to believe. But um, what happened, I would say we had a lot of, uh, I, you know, no one would fund us for the first four months just because of the geos and the hard to believe contrarian bet. So I basically had to, me and my wife savings, like bankroll the entire company, like at a point, like, you know, we were like pretty deep in the hole and like $50,000 of credit card. That is probably like the scariest shit I've ever gone through. Um, apologies for the, for the word, All but good. It's, Don't it's worry. It um, but, uh, after four months, we had enough data to show that this was a rocket ship. And then we had our first investor believe in us, um, called, uh, to, uh, you know, this friend of mine called, called Diego, who eventually became the VP of finance of the company. He became, um, one of our first investors and then first check ventures, um, which invests mostly in, in seed became our, our, one of our earlier investors as well. And then in very early 2021, we got into YC for the summer 21 batch. And that totally changed the company, uh, from a perception perspective before people looked at us as a risk. And after the YC seal, everyone said, oh, this is, I guess, an opportunity. And it was so interesting to watch because 
The only thing that changes the YCC, all the fact is the management team was the same, the tech was the same, and the numbers were the exact same. Um, and I get it. Um, obviously, it's a, a show of like what YC has accomplished. But yeah, after the YC seal, I think we were able to, we were very fortunate to be able to raise capital and we raised a series A before, right before our uh, demo day. But I would say I just look for partners that 80% 80, 80 of the no's I get are because of the geos, which just makes it extra hard to raise capital. And I, you know, whether that's fair or not, that's a separate conversation, but it's the reality of our, our, of our fundraise. But I think I just look for partners that truly understand that um, regardless of of whatever our country might be going through, everyone needs to move around. Everyone wants the conveniency to get things delivered. Every merchant wants to have incremental revenue. And it's an opportunity and, and the ability for us to go deep there and for an investor to take a contrarian bet that if it has worked elsewhere, it can work here and it can be centralized in a single company. Those are that's the bet that we really wanna want people to understand. And I look for people that understand that if, if if I realize that during a fundraising call, they're questioning Venezuela a lot, I normally realize that it's a no because I can't convince you of the business model, the way we're executing and on top of it, the markets. It's like you either you either believe that it's a great opportunity or you don't. I love the contrarian nature of that, especially if every single investor is not investing in Venezuela. Imagine what you, what the returns would be and how outsized they would be if you bet on the winner in that field that no other competitors are getting bet on. So I, I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, that, that is right. Amazing. And, and so I, I'm going to end with a Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question but with uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about Latin America do very few people agree with you on? Um that you can't group Latin America, I would say, the way uh, VCs and investors normally do. There's this narrative of like, oh, you know, we launched Fund 3 dedicated for LATAM. And it's like, what is that? Because first of all, you have Spanish-speaking LATAM, and then you have Brazil. And the idea that you're going to launch a business in Mexico and then do the exact same thing in Brazil to win is false. And the majority of the time does not work well. But even a business that goes well in Mexico, the idea that they're going to go launch in Colombia or in Peru and that it's going to work just fine. I would say that there are intrinsically um, maybe culturally less differences, but from a regulatory environment, payments infrastructure or any infrastructure technologically required to run the business, it's just like widely different. Same thing with labor loss, if it's something that's online to offline like a yummy. And I think a lot of people continue to group Latin America as the same opportunity. And even though I understand it's done because it's easier that way, I certainly believe that there's companies that can launch in a place and expand elsewhere, but it is not that simple. Amazing. Amazing. And so Vincente, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Sneed VC podcast today. I very much appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for watching this episode of Samia VC. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Gorman Trip. And be sure to check out our newsletter, DealFlow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.